What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Martin, with Intuitive Minds Podcast. This is episode 33, and today's guest, we have C.J. Wallace, filmmaker. How are you today, man? Doing excellent, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So give us a breakdown of uh, who C.J. Wallace is and where he's from and how he got started to where he is. Oh, well, I am from a place called Cloverdale, British Columbia, Canada, mm-hmm. which has like maybe a thousand people and a rodeo that's been happening for uh, 150 years where a bunch of insanity goes on. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's a very small town and not a lot to do. So and being Canadian, you're legally forced to play hockey like military service until a certain age that that took up a lot of time. And then once I stopped wanting to get hit with pucks, then I jumped into film uh, around like 18 years old, something like that, mm-hmm. like professionally 18, I guess. Oh, okay. You going back to the hockey part. So you have, it's mandatory to play hockey? Is, is, it's... No, just like in Canada, it's like it, everybody does it. That's, that's, that's uh, all there is to do really. Okay. And it's, yeah, there's a, it's a, it's, it's the thing to do. It's our, it's our pastime. Yeah. It's what we care about. I was a hockey goalie for uh, 16 years up until Ooh. one, one level below NHL and then quit to do this. Oh, okay. You just said, forget it. I'm just going to go ahead and do filmmaking. What, what, what led you to filmmaking? Like what, what transpired that? I mean, I, my dad was my coach in hockey and they, uh, like my mom or my dad would be filming my practices or my games. And then it started to get in my head that as I was watching it, I was more excited to like see the replay and like put together like a little highlight reel, like VCR to VCR. And then eventually I was putting like, I, 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 my claim to fame in, in, hockey they have a thing called the net cam mm-hmm. and like as an eight-year-old I invented that and I didn't know that that was <laughs> it eventually became like a part of NHL but there's this so I started setting up cameras and finding out all these different ways to shoot in in, cool. in hockey goalies tend to be like six foot and over and I'm five foot six right now maybe mm-hmm. or five foot seven so uh when I was a kid god knows what size I was so I could just see the writing on the wall film you can do until you're till you're not on earth anymore so it seemed like the better solution what was your first camera that you ever, do you remember that? First one that I bought with my own money was a Canon Allura, it was called. It was this little mini DV camera. I mean, my parents had like high eights and, and all sorts of stuff. But the first one that I ever bought and shot on mini DV tapes, which were like the size of like a Tic Tac case sort of, but it had this feature called progressive scan. And it sort of simulated a film look like it didn't look like home video. And, and that's so like I, that blew my mind as a kid that it sort of looked like mm-hmm. film and I and I used it endlessly it's still it's still amazing I would think mm-hmm. it, it's at my parents house somewhere because yeah because I've looked at your work and it has a certain style which automatically automatically you know that's CJ Wallace there's you know, that so cool. what inspired that type of like feel and that type of theme and what were you into like as a kid like growing up uh, I liked a lot. And, and part of the reason why hockey didn't work out probably is I really liked old movies. So a lot of times I would be like, you know, kids in practice would be talking about that they stole a beer or doing whatever. And I would be like, I watched this Singing in the Rain or Goodfellas or something. Mm-hmm. And so that obviously didn't really mesh very well. So it just I just really liked the old aesthetic of like pinup art from war era and, and just old fonts and just old classic stuff that... There's just a certain vintage aesthetic that I really like that I think I hopefully try to do a little bit of that with a little bit of something new and make something new from those two things. Mm-hmm. That's that's always sort of the thing. That's that's amazing. And then do you ever do you ever want to step out of that comfort zone and do something else? Have you tried something else that you're like, okay, maybe this isn't working or did you automatically know this is exactly what's gonna work for me right now? You, and I'm gonna Oh, you mean film in general? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, once, I mean, when you like, where it's a small town thing. So when your dad is your coach, and and you're doing this hockey thing, and you're trying to make the NHL, that's like, seven days a week, every hour of the day, quite literally, outside of school. So like, when you are starting to achieve that professionally, and then you give it up, that's, that's like, that, that can be very damaging to a family. Mm -hmm. And, 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 so when you when you give up that for something, if you're not 100% committed to it, you you're then you're just I don't know, you're kind of a mess. I don't think you know you're ever going to figure out what you want. So as soon as I made the decision to fully quit hockey to do this, I had already committed the next 80, 90 years or however long I get to do this of time to do the same amount of effort to not have you know yeah, yeah, to, to do what I set out to do. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same for me. Like I started off as an actor and then I picked up music production and then i picked up the camera 
right, right. It was like three different things. And then the camera just, this is what I want to do. It's like, because you're free. I, I just felt free with the camera. Definitely. Yeah. It all makes sense. It's mm-hmm. Just things happen as they happen and, and everything inf- informs the next, mm-hmm. the next thing, the next stage of your video game. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, the second the camera falls in your hand, you either get it or you don't. Yeah, it's, it's, You either want to like work yeah. with the best cameras ever or you're just taking pictures with your cell phone and, and, mm-hmm. and that's cool too. But, mm-hmm. but there's just something about it that when it clicks, it's, you're, you're it's, trapped forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was tough at the beginning because it's like, what type of style am I creating here? What type of theme do I want to create what type of so the more I shot and the more I kept doing it I I started finding myself on the ground a lot I like to shoot low angles very very I don't know why I like to do that a lot but it's also capturing details at low angles you know what I mean so that's it's it was very tricky and then I graduated from that to video that was another thing it's like because nobody really promotes you as a creative you kind of have to promote yourself definitely so that was another tough thing it's like okay do i get a sony for low lighting or do i keep the canon for for video so it was like it's did you did you do photography at first or did you automatically start doing video auto, like right away no i think the first things that i did were wedding videos and if you've ever done a wedding video or uh, i can't imagine a greater lesson on how to I mean, it it gives you kind of everything. You have to deal with personalities like a director and you have to shoot this thing and you have one shot and the sound has to be perfect mm-hmm. and everybody's crazy. I, I've been pressed up against the wall once by an angry husband by an edit that I did because I cut out this grandpa's speech like he did a 20 minute speech. So you kind of make like a little presentation that's, yeah. you know, digestible 10 minutes. And then if they want the raw footage, that's cool. And this guy didn't get that. And yeah, wedding people are crazy. Um, so I got I, I did that for a few years while working at cable stations, which are crazy. Um, I never really did photos specifically, but I'm I'm sort of a one man crew with the stuff that I'd done my whole life. So I like if I need to do the stills, and I just sort of took the stills. Like I just sort of there's never really been one specific career. It's just when you do film, if you if you can do a couple other things, it's sort of satisfied. Like I like to do music too, and I love to do poster design. So it's mm-hmm. like, and I like mm-hmm. to write. So it's like, as soon as you're finished writing, then you get to shoot and then you love to edit. So you get to edit the stuff. And then as soon as you're bored of editing, you get to do the poster and then you get to do the music and then you're back around again to the writing. So it's like, it's the most fulfilling. What do you think um, is your favorite part about it? That whole I process? Would, definitely editing as far as the, as movies and documentaries go but i mean doing the posters it's the best to do yeah um, i mean and I've like the album covers and and yeah. all that sort of stuff i think i've done 300 album covers yeah. in the last eight years um mm-hmm. there it's it's my favorite thing to do and when someone loves an album that that album cover sort of like it tells you about the music it informs you some type of way if the mm-hmm. album cover is all white then you the music kind of hits you a certain way and if it's just an all black thing with like a red swipe across it that means something else so it's like it's it's very important and, and something that a lot of young rappers don't really realize how important the album art is they sort of just pay the guy 15 dollars to slap some cell phone picture on a yeah. you know a background of a, of a jpeg of flames or something and yeah and, and then that, then people think the music rep- is going to be the same quality of detail mm-hmm. as you put into your art yeah, I mean, and then I've seen your your the your your Jet Life artwork is yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's the, my favorite one that you've done was probably New Jack City. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. Thank you. That the new that one's it's just I don't know it's just, it, it 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 spoke currency. It's yeah, like, and it was the fastest. It was the one that went the fastest. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. God. For some reason, I just had the idea of that picture with the music. And actually that whole album, we did a whole bunch of little documentaries and like mm-hmm. we, he was in the booth and then I would record them and edit them and do special effects mm-hmm. and have them out within a couple hours like that. Mm-hmm. That album, I really feel like him and I did a lot of our best collab, like in a short burst of time. I, I really am proud of a lot of the stuff that that came out of that, like that, that we did together yeah. in, in that time. It was, yeah. I mean, I followed Currency's career from 2008 so probably 2014 yeah 15 so it was like and it was like mixtape after mixtape 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 after mixtape and then you popped in the scene with the artwork and i was like yo where's currency taking us with this and it was like the artwork was very like it had that old school 
Casino Royale-esque, like that album, what's that other album, album cover? Um, it had like a sunset, but it had the girl in the middle, Stoned on Ocean. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that, that next to New Jack City, those were like albums, like, again, covers do have to appeal. Right, right. But, uh, every time I saw a currency cover, that's what appealed to me. Yeah, that was so much fun when he did that, the, the 13 album run like that, because just mm -hmm. like I knew that at the end of the month, I was going to get to just do some, he was just going to, you know, dump a, a zip file of music on me and, and, and we just get to run. And, and then once I realized, once he sort of committed to that, that thing, and we I could sort of put together a little bit of a narrative with it, and it might not be obvious, but when you're designing things, you got to invent stuff for yourself. Mm -hmm. So it sort of, it began outside of the Joy Theater, and it kind of goes on this little journey, and, it, and he ends up on the 2030 uh, tape back at the Joy Theater again. Yeah, which is, yeah. See, I didn't catch that. That's Yeah, yeah that's the Canal amazing. Street Confidential technically yeah. considered, because that was the, the big album, and then he did the the, the the 12 album run after that. So I, the, that one's the one with the Joy. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, so that was kind of the, the concept with that. So. That's, the, that's the album where I met. I'm really close friends with uh, Gene from Monster Beats. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love Gene. Yeah. So like, he, and he was just telling me like a bunch of like different stories and how currency works and how he's always in the studio, how he's very picky with the people he's with. And if, if those people are just, he's a very, he keeps everything close knit, but he knows what he wants. Absolutely. And I would say that, yeah, it's like, it's not a situation, like if you're a type of person that needs a pat on the head all the time, like that's, that's, this isn't the environment for you, but it's mm -hmm. like, if you're around, you know that you're respected and like nothing needs to be said about anything. It's just right. like, there's a very small group. And if you're, if you're happen to contribute and, and you're not a maniac and, and you can keep up with uh, smoking, then uh, you're allowed in the, <laughs> yeah. you're allowed in the circle. Yep. Yep. Now what is a 40 FS FPS come from? Where did that? It actually started from, I did, there's a director, Paul Thomas Anderson, who made like Boogie Nights and Punch on Glove and Magnolia, There Will Be Blood, a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. In high school, I started a site with another guy that just sort of did his news updates. He was like an early influence for me. Anyways, his script for Boogie Nights, all his slow motion shots, he wrote in brackets in the script 40, just the number FPS, like just to indicate that it wanted to be slow motion. And I just like the sound of 40 FPS in my head. And it looked cool written off, uh, like written down, but... I didn't realize like, you know, when you're on a stage or something, you're like, what's your Twitter? And you're like 40 and like all these letters just yeah. sound like chaos. And they all, it's so, you know, it's not necessarily the greatest looking marketing thing, but it, it kind of sounds nice. Mm -hmm. And then you moved on to uh, some writing samples that you received an interview with Conan after. Yeah. Elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> around that same time, probably 16 or so, well, actually all through high school, for whatever reason, I just always really liked late night shows like Johnny Carson and David Letterman. Conan O'Brien came on after David Letterman. And because of hockey, I could never really stay up late because I'd always have to get up four in the morning for practice. Mm -hmm. So I would tape, I'd have VHS tapes of every show. I just taped stuff all the time. So I would tape Conan O'Brien and I would, it just sort of became my favorite show or whatever. I just sort of connected to it through high school. Mm -hmm. And I sort of found a formula with some of their jokes and some of their recurring bits that I could sort of latch onto kind of like a Mad Lib and sort of throw things into. Mm -hmm. So I made this package of a whole bunch of jokes and, and these things and sent it to them. And they wrote back, this was like in the very early days of email, I think, or it, it was for me for sure. Mm -hmm. They sent back an email and I believe we had to pay our way out. That was very Canadian, pay our way out. Um, <laughs> we had to have me and my mom went out there. We didn't have a, a ton of money. So I imagine it was a great sacrifice to go out there for them. We went out there and I had a meeting with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy kind of looked at me. It was just very kind of strange. We're in this big boardroom and he was at one end of the table and I was at the other. <laughs> and uh, he was just asking me a bunch of questions about the show and things. And as we were walking out, he just said, yeah, we, we don't really hire high school students. So I was like, I, I didn't assume so, but like, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> you, you wanted me to come out. Here I am. This is what I want to do. I want to be in TV, Hollywood. Let's do this. And so he, that's any story. He said, you know, give us a ring back when you're in college. And I, and I didn't. I just kind of just kept. 
doing what I was doing and and I realized how expensive it was to live in New York at the time yeah. and being an intern on a on a late night show at 12:30 at the time wasn't exactly going to pay New York rent. Yeah, so that that sort of I thought I would maybe get back to it one day or I would at least have this story mm-hmm. to uh to use for clickbait as I am now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean I have a friend who actually edits for Conan O'Brien. Oh wow! And he says, "Yeah, the hours are just—I I don't get sleep. It's yeah. just because he does uh, O'Brien, and I think he does the other Colbert. Right, right. He does two. So I—I wow. I, I can't imagine him. His brain just—it's like, how do you process that? He's like, I don't get sleep. Yeah, and especially I, now, like back then, there wasn't even YouTube, so I can't imagine now where he's got to put out this—you know—a video every three hours so yeah. people can have something to stare at. It's that—that yeah. that would be, oh god. Yeah." Wow. <laughs> last time I talked to him, he was just like, you could tell he needed sleep. Like his eyes were just like, bangs were like black as fuck. Like it was just right. like, I was like, dude, you need, you either need to quit or get right. something better. And when you edit too, it's like, it's, it's like, you can't necessarily do it faster. It takes as long as it takes. Like you can't rush it. It's a thing that's like, and then there's, you know, your own pride in there too. So it's just, it's, it's, you really I say that all the time to people. It's like you, if you want to do this, you like, you have to like be a martyr and almost like masochistic. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. it, it will eat you alive. And if you don't love it, you will just, I don't know if it's you're in it for the wrong reasons or fame or trying to do any of that stuff. If you're not trying to build some sort of Kubrickian legacy or, do, you know, or, or like, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's, uh, it's hell and 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 the and the bigger the stories and the bigger things that you try to do and the bigger your company gets it it just gets you get bigger and bigger obstacles and and it's just crazy but mm-hmm. when it's there's nothing if you love to do it it's it's the best it's it's live gambling yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gambling I, yeah. with your life mm-hmm. i love i love editing like that's that's my favorite portion is editing right. videos and editing podcasts and just it's just it gives me something to do, and it also opens the the creativity brain even more. Oh, maybe Absolutely. I can use this for the next project that I do. Right. Oh, wow, what a cool, you know what I mean? So, and that's what actually came from the wedding videos. That's maybe what I was starting to ramble about earlier, is that mm-hmm. learning to shoot all that stuff on the fly and then having to edit. You know, when you're just starting, you have 10 hours of stuff, and you have to try to get it in you know, 10 minutes and make everybody cry and laugh and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. that that informs you how to direct later on because you realize what shots are important and then that helps you as an editor like it's so important to learn how to edit first mm-hmm. if you're trying to be a director um because yeah. it, when it comes down to it like the movie we just did the fiddling horse mm-hmm. we all you know some days we had two shots to get something and it's like all right i can do it from here and here and i can edit it together it may not be the most fascinating you know, uh, energetic scene in the world, but it's going to serve its purpose. It'll find it's going to look nice and the the laughs will hit and we're, you know, we'll make our time, Mm -hmm. but that's only from 15 years of beating your head against the wall, learning how to, you know, edit this stuff. That's, that's Mm -hmm. a nightmare or not obvious or, you know, a Mm -hmm. chore to put together in, in some way or another. It's man, 13 hours, 14 hours. If you're an editor, expect that. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah there's no way around and it I, and actually that's one of the best things that i've ever learned working with jet life because when i did a music video before i would take a week or two to edit something for three minutes hip-hop i learned right away that like on our first tour you shoot that city until two in the morning and then there's all these you know fans and maniacs on the bus and then you got to drive to the hotel and you get two hours sleep but they want the they want the viral clip of that last day already on youtube you know before the next show hits so but then when you're so used to taking your time and you know fussing over stuff when just the second you get in an environment like that you learn how to do your style but Mm -hmm. but very quickly so that then when you do have a week it's like oh man i got you know (laughs) you can take a five-day vacation do a little bit the day before and then put in a half-assed day on the Mm -hmm. seventh day and kill it so it's, that's that's something that jet life definitely changed my DNA in many ways, and and that was one of them. It it, it saved a lot of time in my life, adapting to their requirements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they seem like again like they're they're tight knit group, so they they seem like they already know what they want. I got that vibe from Gene. 
Yeah, definitely. And I mean, they, once they, once they trust you, it's almost like they don't want to know what you're doing in a way. Yeah. It's like at a certain point with music videos, it's just like, I'll be like, show up at this spot at seven o'clock and he'd be like, all right. And he's, you know, and he shows up <laughs> and he's like wearing what he's wearing. I'm like, all right, that works. Uh, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> and, we, yeah. and he knows how it's going to look. And he sees me whipping the camera around a certain way. He's like, oh, that's going to be, and like, yeah, 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 I'm excited about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then, and then he calls me, you know, two hours later and asked if it's edited. And I go, no, I just got home. <laughs> hey, it comes with it. It comes with the territory. Right. The but, I, but that's fun. That's the best. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And then when like, then he's like, you're not going to get it done in time. And then you do it a half as fast and you just like, you're, then you start to feed off each other and just uh, the work, everybody's work elevates each other's. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to whatsoever overstate anything I do, but I, it's just, when it's just fun to do and when you know that when you're living a cool life and somebody's like putting their life into filming it for you and try to make it look as cool as possible that you know that that's a fun thing to to go back and forth with mm-hmm. now uh 969 mtv slash razor how did that come about what did you how did you land that one that's actually that was a show in vancouver uh it was called 969 and it was a youth television show sort of mm-hmm like a MTV thing where like top 10 Nelly Furtado, whatever. Uh, okay. And like, yeah. And Timberland's five greatest beats and, mm-hmm. and whatever and, and movie reviews. And I signed on as a junior producer. And then uh, within about three weeks I was directing the show because I, <laughs> there was like this lady that was running it, Catherine, and we loved her, but she was just, she was trying to direct the show and trying to produce it and doing all these things. And I was like, Hey, I direct. So uh, I ended up doing that and, and producing three segments a week. It was for MTV Canada, and it was a it was a daily thing. So every day we had to put on an hour show, and mm-hmm. and uh, same thing. It, it's it's sort of like wedding videos, and it just you, it teaches you how to you know how to run a TV station for mm-hmm. <laughs> for for, mm-hmm. and they pay you to do it. That's I said. It's it, the best thing about film is you can live in all these different careers for two or three years. Like we're doing the new Jim McMahon documentary, and it's right. like I get to be a football superstar guy for two years because I'm living in this guy's life and and telling the story and, and and working on that show it's like you you learn how to sort of run a Saturday Night Live type thing and it, it, it was it was really great there's just all these people like one guy that used to host the show is now working in Cleveland doing like the red carpet Oscar stuff Chris Van Vliet and all these people that that were in this little show are now all over the place doing ridiculous things. So it was definitely cool. The subject matter was a bit crazy. Like I said, the demographic was nine to, to 14 sort of. So it was a lot of covering like pop punk Canadian bands that, you know, so it was a little bit, it was a little bit tricky some days to, yeah. to really give a, to get into, you know, doing a piece about things like that but there's worse things to do for a job yeah, yeah. the worst part of it is like the best it's still it was still the best the worst part of that job is still amazing mm, yeah it is no you're right about that and not a lot of people seem to get a grasp on that they just right. they just uh they get irritated and agitated very very right. fast and that's the thing it's like almost everything not almost everything i would say 85 percent of the stuff i've done in my career has been done for free mm-hmm. to get to the next thing or to just like like spit out like I did that stuff most of the stuff for free just to be like here's here's what I can do and that led to going on tour and all these other things Mm -hmm. I I, I see a lot of people that won't that'll be on that'll talk on Twitter or Facebook over the years that say I'm not doing xyz unless this 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 well it's like you know you're if you got an opportunity like all the time just draw like I did a UFC poster the other day like I'm not a huge UFC fan, but I'm like, I watch it. So it's like, there's a big event. I drew a big poster just to put it out to see what happened. It's, and it led to a couple of things and not major things, but there are new connections made that didn't yeah. exist. Yeah. It's just like, I don't understand if you want to do this. It's just like, what's it? You can sit on the couch and play a video game all day, or you can just make a music video, you know, a album cover for Rick Ross and tag him in it. And if people dig it, he's going to see it. And hip hop people like to, find people that are new and and so it's like it's there's they have a million things that need to be done like yeah. just 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 invest in yourself and 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 things will happen so so quickly yeah and then you uh got to meet with one of the best agencies william moore's agency and then created last flowers right that idea how did that idea come about 
Last Flowers was a script that I wrote that was a feature film. I can't remember how I got in with that agency. Paul actually recommended me to them. And so I went and met with a guy. He was going to be my agent and he was like the assistant agent to all these huge people. So I was sort of like a developmental client where they sort of like keep an eye on you and like see how you do. And they like, they keep you under the umbrella just in case you explode. And then they've already got you. So they, uh, they said if I could make a short film to promote this feature film that I had, you know, they could get the short film in Sundance probably. And, and then, you know, they could use that to leverage to get big actors in to, to make that feature. And this was in September and the cutoff for Sundance, I believe was November. So I had like a month to, to somehow put together a short film that was going to define my life at the time. So I managed to get $20,000 on the drive home from a gentleman. And a couple of weeks later, we were filming and we uh, missed the deadline. And obviously, they need to run things very by the books. And, and as much as William Morris, the powerful agency, tried to swindle things, it uh, it didn't end up working out. But And then uh, William Morris was bought by Endeavor. Uh, so the, the, the two powerhouses became a mega powerhouse. So all the clients like me kind of got like just washed away in a tidal wave, um, which is fine because, you know, for the most part, unless you're nervous about dealing with money and talking with people with money, you can handle your own stuff. And then Nokia, Nokia reached out to you as well. Yeah. And I also don't know how that happened. I think someone just found me through my website and they gave me a cell phone and flew me to Florida to shoot a short film with uh, one of their phones, that their new phone, like they had this uh, Zeiss lens that they put in the phone mm-hmm. to make it like, you know, as if it was going to make it like, you know, the greatest photos of all time. And it was actually pretty good. And they sent us to Florida to uh, shoot Michael Bay premiering Transformers 3. Nice. And they had these guys from Red Bull, like parachuting in from, you know, 20,000 feet in the air and landing on an intersection and doing backflips and all this ridiculous stuff and like people from YouTube were sitting behind me and this it's just it's mental and it was 3d and there's this huge tropical storm so I think that that clip might be still on my website or it's on my YouTube for sure but yeah I don't know it, it that's it's, like I said it's just things pop up <laughs> and then you got to the nitty-gritty with the jet life recordings for about nine years to ten years yes. how did you meet currency and spit and, and currency and spit a spit is the same guy yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, how did you end up working with currency? Same thing. I saw I was going through Twitter one day and I'm not even on social media that much, but it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, a couple times a day. If you just kind of scroll through, you can see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to reach out to him for a music video because I that's if there's any advice in the world, almost everything I've got in my life, I've just randomly tweeted at somebody and uh, two in the morning before I'm going to sleep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eight times out of 10, you wake up and you forgot and you did it. And then like at one o'clock, you get a response. You're like, oh, yeah. Oh, whoa. And then something happened. Nice. So I was tweeting at him, not realizing that when you're not verified, that it just goes into this wasteland of replies that that are impossible to go through for somebody. And so I was just throwing my, you know, throwing empty requests into there so then he did a tweet one day that said uh something like who's who's nice with this canon 7d and edits hella quick or something like that yeah and i was like i edit hella quick i thought (laughs) at the time i thought i did turns out i had something coming so anyway so i wrote reached out and then i guess a million people did and then he responded and said if you want to do this message musa because he probably got hit a hundred times and he didn't you know now that i know he was probably just like you know just stoned for a second one, you know, and then yeah. forgot about it. And like, what the hell's all this? Oh, I don't care about this right now. That was a 10 o'clock, you know, problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, so then he, so then I hit Musa and, and I wrote this big pitch email about how I won an award for a music video and blah, blah, blah. I wrote this big thing. And, you know, and, and then not realizing, of course, that, you know, a thousand videographers, like, you know, they use them every day. There's a million of them that happen. Mm-hmm. So he was like, yeah, 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 for sure. Let's do something. I was like, oh, my, you know, the world has changed. Uh, eventually, he asked me to come down to shoot a lifestyle video. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, cool, what what song are we doing? <laughs> like, I kept pressuring <laughs> for a music video because that's what I wanted to do. And so he's just like, a lifestyle video. I was like, for sure, just send me the MP3 when you got it. Like, being so stupid. Yeah. So anyways, it was at a time <laughs> when I didn't have, probably had 200 bucks or something like that. It was just a, like a dip. I just spent a bunch of money on an independent movie and, and mm-hmm. 
Uh, it wasn't, it was, it was the worst of times. So he invited me down to LA to rock the bells, uh, festival to shoot this lifestyle thing, which I had no idea what it meant, but I just thought I could go down there and, and BS my way into a video. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it was, I was just saying yes. And I was going to figure it out later. Right, um, yeah. so anyways, I got down there and I was filming and I was kind of like ducking out of the way and you know, wearing all black, you know, doing like the professional camera guy, trying not to get in the way, not knowing mm-hmm. that like. 90% of hip hop cameramen are like wearing the guy's shirt and rapping the lyrics and trying to yeah. get, you know, a date or being ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So he saw that I was being professional and, you know, it went very well until he jumped off the stage, cracked his ankle and fractured his leg. And then chaos happened. And I was like, what the hell? And Musa and him threw it. I mean, the, it's, it's up on YouTube. It's called Trustfall. It's the first video yeah. I ever made for him. Mm-hmm. I had no narrative to edit and uh, they just sort of left. And I was just like, oh, whoa what the hell? Uh, like he had this big tour coming up. And so I was just like, Oh, that's not going to be good. And also I was, you know, like broke. And now in LA with even more broke, like my music video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. I was like equally concerned, but also, you know, I'm, you know, as real as it gets, I was like, Oh man, that's, mm-hmm. that didn't go good for anybody. Did it? So then I kind of had this little meltdown. I realized at, at the end of it that I sort of had this unique footage that nobody else had. And I called Musa and I was like, is everything okay? Once I sort of, mm-hmm. you know, you snap out of your selfish bubble and it's like, you know, I didn't have necessarily any connection to them. I saw them for 10 minutes and like I had a respect for them, but that's like, I just like, damn. And then they're gone. It's not like Musa now where I'd be like, you, you know. <laughs> so anyways, I texted him and I was just like, where are you guys at? And, and no response. So I was just like, oh, all right. And I just sat in a parking lot and I hit him again, just to like, all right, uh, you know, I'm on my way to town or whatever. And he's like, I'm at this hospital. So I drove over there and it was just him and I, and we just sat there in a van and talked. And if you ever get an opportunity like that and you want it and you yeah. want to work with someone, if you can't yeah. capitalize on that moment you shouldn't be doing this so we had it was very you know it's very easy to bond with someone when you're both in in a moment where it's madness is happening so we just sort of hung out and and two or three in the morning he went in to do some with spitta and i left i went back to canada and and i took you know like a more a week and a half to edit it (laughs) but that's where i came up with the idea for the tweets because i had nothing to, to go on. I just had that footage from the concert. And so I, I, he had all those tweets that he was doing while he was in the hospital. So I thought that would be cool to put in and I'd never seen it done before. And so that sort of became a thing and, and they'd never seen something like that. So they asked me to come on tour with them two months later and 10, 10 years later or something. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which was the smokers club tour. Yeah. 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 With method man and uh mm-hmm. big crit big smoked crit. as a mm-hmm. fiend for the money, corner boy P and a whole bunch yeah. of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, Wiz was there probably at one point. As well. I don't think he. I think he went to the first one. I don't think he showed up at the second one. He remember, might have like. Yeah. I trust you more than me for sure. If you say it, I absolutely believe it. I think Smokers Club. Cause I remember Wiz Khalifa something because he would tweet it and he would hashtag it. I remember maybe. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was totally different because like. After every show, like we brought out a living room set for Spitter with a broken leg because he couldn't stand on it. Mm-hmm. So that's how they did that whole tour. So it's like, you know, when, when you're on the bus and you're driving from St. Louis to Chicago or whatever, every single bump was like, it was like he was breaking again. It was that fragile for him. Yeah. So it's like by the time for, you know, two hours, he's jumped up and down on it and, and been a maniac on it. It's like a, by the time the show was done, it was like it was back on the bus and sort of quarantined. So and I was filming him. So it's like it's very that's why I mean by saying if Wiz was there, that was that very well could have happened. But yeah. I was like on a whole nother level of doing yeah. things. Yeah. And I shot a document. It, it, this may be your next thing, but I shot a documentary over that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the process of him with his leg. And it was like, I, I still say this yeah. day is my favorite thing ever. And, and our, my hard drive, Musa's house got robbed and they took everything out of it. And uh, that movie was on it. I was just about finished. I hadn't shown anybody. I'd taken a year to do it. it it's, I, I'd, it was, I was so proud of it. And I was like three days away from showing it and the house got robbed and they, threw everything in a lake i don't know what the hell happened to it but uh so there's a few there's a little bit of the footage of it on youtube um there's these little vignettes but i mean i i was saving so much stuff and to the point that i was kind of getting a, a little bit fussed at they're like why didn't you put that on i'm like i'm saving it for the movie and they're like Ugh, we need youtube hits now but like i was on a to- i was coming from a film background yeah. and i needed to learn a little bit more about the viral immediacy of hip-hop and that's mm-hmm. so uh, there was a little bit of a learning curve for both of us 
for sure. Yeah. And it was more frustrating for them for, than me. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a, that was a major bummer for sure. Because yeah. I remember. Called, uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I was just going to say it was called twenty five seven or twenty five eight after the lyric in King Kong. Yeah, a, a, a handful of jet like people might know, but uh, man, yeah, because I because uh, I remember you did Jetflix with them. You created yeah. Jetflix with them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I've got a, I've probably got three or four Jetflix and uh, the entire Canal Street Confidential press tour. That even though that that's not. I'm, uh, you know, current, you know, it's, he, we did, uh, did a video shoot with Lil Wayne and, uh, Wiz and he went on this press tour that uh, all this ridiculous stuff happened. Like I still, I still, there will still be a home for that somewhere. I just have to slow down for a second to, to get to it. It's, it's, that's my favorite stuff. What do you think are some of your favorite moments with the Jet Life recordings? And what did you take away from it? Like learn from it? Oh, well, I mean... I, I said uh, they changed everything because I was a Canadian director that was like, if <laughs> if if I wrote a movie called The Green Door and someone was painting the door red, I would like feel embarrassed to tell them to like, you know, like, oh, can you, I know you just worked really hard on that, but can you, <laughs> and I would just be like, all right, I'm just going to change the script. We'll figure it out. I, I don't want to bug them. Like that's how Canada kind of works. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you want to be a director, there's uh, there's a hundred decisions a day where you need to not be that guy. Otherwise, your product is going to be garbage. And that's mm -hmm. why a lot of movies are garbage because there's too many people that are involved, and it's just this mm -hmm. mishmash of of chaos. But um, working with them, you you just like you can't you can't be that personality and be in hip hop. That doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't need to walk around like you're Kanye West by any means. If you're a meek personality, you're, you'll be thrown away immediately. Like it's just, you, you have to be built a certain way and you learn very quickly, just even being in New Orleans or just, just in general. And it's not, you know, Spit is, he's not, you know, gangster rap necessarily or anything it's oh, not like yeah. we're going around with bulletproof vests yeah, yeah. but at the same time it's just there's a certain swagger when you're he he doesn't project an image he is him that is 100 him there's a lot of people in the industry that are not them they are a cartoon of themselves or, or something they've made he is absolutely him so when you are you and there's only you know they know there's only like eight people in jet life or something you're walking around and you're like scratching your arm and like you know kicking at the floor and looking like you're you know in, in an emo rock band or something whatever it is if, if you just need to carry yourself a certain way to fit in and as an employee of this person you need to you know just be a certain way otherwise you look ridiculous and you kind of bring the brand down so yeah there's just there's just a certain business and and way of carrying yourself just a way of working in media and, and being a personality that 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 i mean spit is this you know it's half the time is like the beatles with him yeah it's just like you know <laughs> people are banging on the window of vans and stuff like it's crazy you would think that people could control themselves. And like, if you listen to his lyrics, nothing about that suggests that he wants you to come up and bang on the windows and be yeah. crazy. He would like you to like dap him off on the way by and be like, I fuck with your shit. And be like, for sure. And you know, maybe you have a smoke or something for two seconds and then like mm -hmm. you're cool. And then maybe next time he remembers you're cool and you get to go backstage, you know, yeah. just how to handle that and just how to be a celebrity or just mm -hmm. a, a, a public figure. It's, it's fascinating to watch. And, yeah. it's invaluable when if you want to do this for a business uh it's it's invaluable to be to hang around with and see how you know uh, he's a planet he's like ridiculous he's on a whole level that's and just to you know be at his house and see like 15 people different companies just waiting their turn to speak to him and he's just chilling out and just how to balance that and, and a family and all this stuff it's it's fascinating to watch all these mm -hmm. all these different people it's definitely a applied to everything I've ever done. It's probably no surprise that in the last, you know, three or four years, a lot's happened much faster having been around these guys and seeing how they operate. I, I'm not surprised that the first 15 years of my career went at a certain pace and, and very recently <laughs> with newfound lessons and, and, and things have kind of gotten a, a lot bigger, a lot faster. And, and I definitely have Jet Life and uh, them to, uh, they definitely helped the journey yeah. very, very much. Mm -hmm. You definitely, I mean, you definitely created something different with them as well. I mean, a totally different currency. I yeah, think. I mean, well, that was kind of the thing. When I when I learned that I was going to be doing all their stuff, I looked 
and I looked at everything that was happening at hip hop at the time and before and and saw what wasn't happening and like there wasn't like you know Martin Scorsese whip pans and you know there were certain mm-hmm. camera moves that weren't being done and, and with the mixtape covers like that old vintage thing that we were kind of yeah. talking about mm-hmm. and like that barcode logo maybe there was one or two before but I don't know I thought we were the first to do it and now there's like 25 of them yeah it's just like that we two I just made a very conscious effort to see what was being done already and tried to do absolutely everything that I knew that I could do that hadn't been done and just apply it to him and 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 with his music how unique it is from everybody else I thought that that would only elevate what he was doing or or, or support that mm-hmm. so yeah uh, that was definitely I mean it was definitely a conscious decision the perfect bid let's move on to that one yeah yeah what transpired that idea and what like the price is right is that something was that like one of your favorite shows growing up or yeah i mean like everybody kind of i mean well not everybody as i found out but a a, a great portion of people have uh, grown up and have virtually the same story about how they stayed homesick from school and uh you know watched it at the grandma's and then the grandma watched soap operas right after and on and on and on Mm-hmm. So I definitely have that story and I just uh, for something about those old sets, like I told you, just something about that old vintage, mm-hmm. they got those weird orange, green, purple, brown color yeah, scheme with Bob yeah, Barker yeah, yeah. something about that. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, these weird like psychedelic trip flowers and stuff. I don't know, something about it. And Bob Barker's kind of just his, I like that old timey show. Like I, the, half a perfect bit is just how much I miss old timey television. Like I love Bob Barker's just his delivery and how on point he is and polished and that old burnt cigarette voice and stuff like that. It's just, that's so fascinating to me. So anyways, I mean, half of the movie is that it's just like, I really miss, uh, and I, and I know it's going away and I know that this next generation probably will give a crap about it and that's okay. But hopefully this is an entryway in like they'll find Ted to be a weirdo or whatever. And, and that's their entryway to learn about how cool game shows used to be produced. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I had, uh, a variety article, not variety. doesn't matter. One of the vanity fair, oh, vanity fair, vanity Esquire. Fair. Thank you. Esquire, yeah. Esquire article. I had an Esquire article that uh, I read that showed this Price is Right guy that said he got a perfect bid right down to the dollar and it's never been done before. Uh, Terry Nice, on and on. It's this big puff piece article about how great he is and how he's been studying the prices for two or three months. And he came in, he was ready to go. And then right before it says that thing where it says, like, continued on this page way in the back, it said, but there was also this other guy, Ted Slauson, in the audience, dot, dot, dot. I was like, whoa. And then, like, nobody keeps reading usually, so I kept reading it. And then it it talked about this guy, Ted, who had been studying this stuff for years. And, and so I kind of read a lot of the articles that were coming out at the time. And Ted's story always was the same. And Terry's story was all over the place. And uh, when you do film as an editor, you kind of get to learn psychology through watching people's micro expressions and writing and stuff like that. You just kind of naturally learn psychology. So it just all these things were immediately screaming that this guy was up to something. So anyways, I, I reached out to Ted around that time and said, I want to do a documentary on you. And he said, that would be amazing. And I reached out to Terry and said, would you like to speak to us? And he didn't reply. So I went, for sure. That's, <laughs> that's, that's how that goes. You know, I kept getting busy. And then, you know, whatever, nine, nine years later, here we are. We finally got to it. Yeah, it was an amazing. But uh, yeah, Ted is amazing. We shot for two days and he had no notes. We shot for maybe five hours. He rattled off every stat from every show like you could go up to him and and you know drew carey calls him rain man and that's a little bit derogatory but at the same time he is straight up he knows everything about everything and if i say now like i've learned a lot about fair usage rights and documentaries Mm -hmm. and i strongly recommend anyone making documentaries to learn your fair usage rights as soon as you figure out how to work that you have carte blanche on anything you want to make in life virtually Mm -hmm. um and i was too ignorant to know that that was a thing and as soon as i found out i was like oh my god (laughs) how did i not know about this and i would have saved so much money on the prices right documentary because ted explains everything every moment to the T and he had all the footage on DVDs and stuff. Like I could have done it for free. Yeah. But instead it cost a lot and the company that owned it meddled with the movie and it was a headache. Um, uh, yeah, I'm very proud of the movie. Ted's a celebrity now and that's all yeah. I ever wanted. As cool as it is to, to go to film festivals or, or get awards or do anything like that. It's like, 
all these stories start because I want to martyr myself for these people. Like Ted, mm-hmm. I was just like, Ted deserves a movie. And like <laughs> Jim <laughs> and Jim McMahon, who I'm doing this documentary for now, this football player is just like, I'm just like, oh man, no one knows what this guy's going through. It's like this, mm-hmm. this I, something just immediately draws me to to these mm-hmm. things. And if they respond, then that's it. Then then they're stuck with me. And I'm <laughs> and, yeah. And then break uh, break that down, Mad Mac. Yeah, that actually has just sort of come together in the last month or so. Jim McMahon is, was the quarterback for the Chicago Bears, and uh, he's arguably the best quarterback that they've had, uh, depending on how crazy you are as a Bears fan. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I'm learning that there's, you know, there's very polarizing. Yeah. But, but I mean, these people are amazing. I, these these Bears fans are, and I, are I assume it very... Are you familiar with the NFL at all, or are you... Well, see, this is maybe it should come out on this podcast. I've been a Bills fan my entire life, Buffalo Bills. Mm. Um, so I'm sort of waiting for that. That that I'm going to get canceled by Bears fans. I mean, I, I watch football a lot. I'm not like a, I'm not diehard. The Bills are just sort of. I started watching them in 1990. They went to the Super Bowl. They lost. They went again. They lost. We know the story four times, yep, yep. and they've been pretty much touch and go ever since. Yep. So, like Bears fans, I sympathize with you. You had a similar yep. thing until 1985. So, I think that's our common ground. Mm-hmm. And I never hated the Bears. So, it's, you know. Anyways, so yeah, I'm, I'm a Bills fan, and pretty soon they'll they'll figure that out and mm-hmm. and be mad maybe. But but I don't care that much. <laughs> it's just like yeah. it's whatever. Uh, it's it's something to watch on Sundays, and I like their logo. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it starts. Started starter jackets in the 90s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exactly yeah now what's the experience like hanging out with matt mac uh i haven't yet um we've okay. only talked an email I'm, I'm actually going there uh i'm waiting for the email any second to find out what days next week that he's good to shoot um then we're heading to arizona we've got a whole bunch of crazy people that are also going to be involved <laughs> That is really annoying to say and then not be able to say any of them, but it's contractually I can't at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I would potentially lose some of them to reveal it, even if I wanted to. So, right. uh, yeah. But we have some interesting people. That, I mean, there's been probably five or six documentaries made on the 85 Bears, but this is, I mean, it's the guy's life story. So obviously mm-hmm. there's a few stories we need to recycle, mm-hmm. but we're going to tell them in slightly different ways. But this story is about Jim, who's... Uh, he was dealt with a lot of severe CTE and um, was driven to near suicide at one point. You know, it's it's just his story. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. people love him to death and, and he gave people so much. And then it's it just sort of, I guess my thing that connects to me is that it just sort of bums me out that he has this thing that he's been going through that only until fairly recently, you know, or not, you know, in the last X amount of years, he's been talking about it. But there's, you know, thousands of players that, that have either, you know, killed themselves or live with this daily. And, uh, and it's, you know, I, it's, it's not going to be a depressing movie, but it's, I just, it's just something that right. yeah. just intrigues me. It's a fascinating story. He, he was a cartoon character through his entire career. He was on the second best NFL team of all time. And, and, and he's led a fascinating life and, and he continues to, and, and he's been nothing but amazing so far. And, um, and he has no reason to do this. And, uh, I've only made a couple films. I'm not ESPN. I'm not Quentin Tarantino. So for him to uh, trust me with a story, with only uh, a couple uh, couple projects behind me, I guess is uh, is very humbling. And I'm I, I'm I'm very honored to be able to be doing this story. Is, where can they expect? Where can people expect it, this to come out? Uh, we're going to have it uh, ideally on you know uh, Netflix and you know Amazon Prime and uh, iTunes, all those places. Uh, I usually like to do film festival runs. That's sort of like your when you spend a year all by yourself making a movie. It's kind of it's the only spot that's left where it's it's, it's true true movie fans because they'll come out at nine in the morning to like that was a thick cool thing about perfect bid i was like mm-hmm. they'd give us you know friday morning at, at nine and you're just like oh man it's like this there's gonna be six people there like and then it's 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 sold out and you're just like oh and they you know they really care about the cuts and there's a question mm-hmm. and answer period at the end it's just it's so satisfying and it's like they, of course they have awards at the end and that's nice but it's like that's just the pat on the head like, Probably, it's, yeah. it's so cool to because it's it's very scary that you know, especially with what's going on now. But it's very scary that in just, even in general, that movie theaters are going the way that they're going. Because mm-hmm. obviously, I grew up on them, and and I'm not an old man or anything. But yeah. I said, but I definitely want to old man champion, mm-hmm. you know, keeping going to movies. But 
you know, Netflix makes it so easy to to stay in your house and smoke. So why would you go outside when you can when you can't? Yeah, um, exactly. Even so like, that's the thing. Like AMC, I think is doing like twenty five cents a ticket right now. Or- right. Like and I mean, I'm not trying to, I, I, I assume I can talk about this to a certain degree yeah. as I want to, and I'm in the process of to get older theaters in smaller towns. And I want to refurbish, you know, like Tarantino down right. here is a new Beverly mm-hmm. and he just shows whatever the hell he wants. And, and also his movies all the time. And sometimes he shows up and actors show up and it's just like, I just, I think that, I mean, that was always my goal as a kid but then to have someone do a proof of concept i'm obviously not tarantino and people aren't going to show up to my thing just because but you know to get a small town in louisiana theater and 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 you know have five cent movie night to have kids come out and see whatever type of movie like you know show disney stuff or 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 whatever just have people still get together but obviously obviously that's that's not going to happen anytime soon uh from a from a from a grand scheme point of view as 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 far along as we are it's still going to take x amount of time and as the world is right now that's that's a fool's errand i think so that's that's why i'm kind of talking about it i think it's dead in the water um (laughs) but um what is some advice you can give to up and coming filmmakers? I mean, you've been doing this for a while now, so and you've had your trials and tribulations. And what are some advice you can give to? Absolute best advice that I would say to if you're trying to do this as quickly as possible. My first film, BB, I made and I used. I had uh, nine thousand dollars of inheritance that I got, and I used uh, eight thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine dollars of it to make a movie because I had been working with Jet Life, I knew that I could, you know, put a whiz song in there and spit it and make this big, ridiculous soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Saying all this to say, take whatever you can do, whatever genre of movie you like, whatever it is, you don't need a star, you don't need anybody. Just figure out a way to make a movie that's uh, 72 minutes long. And I know this sounds ridiculous. (laughs) Like, of course, just go make a movie. But just really, if you... If you have a friend that has a cool restaurant, you have a movie. You make a, you write a script about the cool restaurant, and that's and you have an amazing location, and you find a way to light it. You know, it's it's the best thing to do just to make something, even a short film. But it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's kind of like if you're going to go through all that work to do the short film, it's almost equal amount of effort because you still have to get all the locations and. Mm-hmm. You got to get all these cameras and all these lights. So it's like you might, and it's fun to film. You only get to do it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I've only directed, uh, you know, a handful of days in the last two years, uh, just because, you know, documentaries only take so much time and right. the rest is editing. So it's like, it's fun to be on set. So that's my advice. And I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's like, take whatever cool things you have. If your friend has a cool car and this guy's got this and this and this, figure out how to make a movie. And even if it sucks, you show people and like, look at this movie. And it's like, okay, you made a movie. Great. You're like, okay, but we got this script. And if we actually had some money, we could get this person. It's the trade, the pencil, the paper clip for the pencil, for the pen. And you keep trading up and eventually you're at the car. No one needs to see the crappy movie that you made that, that I'm telling you to go make right now with your, with your hundred bucks. You just need to keep doing it and then you'll learn on the job. Like film school is cool, but there's YouTube. Like you can, if you're really dedicated to do it, you can sit there and you can learn 95% of the technical stuff. It's like film school is kind of like cool for making contacts immediately. Or or if you can't afford gear, there's gear provided. But I mean, you're going to film school, you're paying tuition. (laughs) You could buy a camera. Um, But so I guess that's a really long rambly answer to say the most cliche ever thing of of you just have to do it like the wedding video thing was one thing but a lot of the time I would go with my best friend Jeff and my friend Brian who was a theater actor we would go to 7-Eleven and we would film it and whatever he did we would have to like he would have his camera and I would have mine and we kind of had this like competition we'd edit it in this little four minute thing and we would do like rotoscoped like animation like it was ridiculous they were way over the top like they were the equal production value of like whatever i'm trying to do now like it was no i was doing the exact same thing for that as i am for the jim mcmahon documentary and that taught me how to make a trip to 7-eleven into something that was funny and there was no punchlines. it just like you you teach yourself how to how to do this stuff or, or if someone's having a new year's party like you bring the camera and stuff's going to happen and edit it into a fun little thing and 
you'll just eventually learn how to tell a story with nothing. And then when you have a story, you feel like you can really lay into it. You're like, oh, I can do this, 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 this. And from, you know, this stupid video I made about going to the grocery store with Debbie or what, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I said, that's, that's, uh, you may have to chop that up, but that's, that's just a long winded answer to, to really say that to just do it and learn how to edit because editing will save, save your ass all the time. <laughs> if you, if you can't shoot something exactly the way that you want, you need to be able to bail yourself out in editing. Um, cause you know, sometimes French Montana and Spitter will be standing on the side of a road at three in the morning and they'll say, let's shoot the video for these bitches. We, you yeah. got one take and then we're going to go on the bus and you have one take and you're like, Oh God. <laughs> so that's, uh, so uh, that's, that's the things so, uh, just spend all your time learning to edit and shoot and, and figure out how to make things out of nothing. And then eventually uh, you'll be able to really make something out of something. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of the podcast, I do these 10 questions that I have re rapid answers uh, that I got from James Lipton, who did the Inside the Actor Studios. Uh, yeah. uh, his first question was, what is your favorite word? Uh, greenlit. Greenlit. <laughs> <laughs> that means you were that means we're going mm -hmm. what is your least favorite word no what turns you on old technology that nobody gives a crap about what turns you off excuses and people that don't like to work what sound or noise do you love a 73 Rhodes piano what sound or noise <laughs> do you hate what was the last one? Sorry. What sound or noise do you hate? There's a sound. It used to be in uh, in like compressed MP3s, where like if it if it was like a, a broken MP3, it would do this really loud like compressed air noise in your ear. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. happens a lot during editing. Sometimes, uh, like if you have a compressor up too loud, you'll hit yep. the space bar, or like some effect will like uh, just keep repeating on itself and blast uh, horrible sounds in your ear. So. What sound do I hate? I hate all unintentional feedback and editing uh, sounds. <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? No. Yeah, <laughs> no, is, no is the thing. That's it. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Honestly, there's, there's, that, uh, there's really none of them because like I said before, anytime you get to do Anytime you want to kind of do something in film, you get to do it. But I guess if you're, I guess professionally, if you're going to say like, if I had to stop everything, I would be a musician in a, in a heartbeat. And I guess technically I do do that, but like, I would, I would get over myself and like sing lyrics and put out like a, some type of album or something. What profession would you not like to do? I'm very not good at manual labor stuff. <laughs> so and for so like i mean i'll 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 do a whole bunch of manual labor and stuff on set but i like i'm not good with heights so like if i had to go like uh deal deal with yeah construction and stuff i would be the worst and, and uh i would definitely work hard but i it would i just it would be the worst if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates you shouldn't have, I don't know. <laughs> I've watched this show so many times. Do you think that I would have like already had these stock answers? Yeah. Like, but, but he retired. So I think I forgot them. <laughs> yeah, he passed away. Oh, he died too. Yeah, that's right. That, yeah. No, that's what I meant by retired. Yeah. Um, that's horrible. <laughs> okay. Oh, Jesus. Okay. What do I want to um, <laughs> You shouldn't have stressed so much about getting up here. Any last words you'd like to give to the people? Any shout outs? No, I feel like I went Kevin Smith on this podcast and talked for 10 years. So I probably said way too much already. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's it. Buy, oh, here we go. Buy, buy Blu-rays. <laughs> but I'm going somewhere with that. Mm -hmm. This might be my little crusade, like Quentin and PTA and all them are saving 70 millimeter film and all that. And so that'll be their rock to die on. I, I kind of feel like people need to keep buying Blu-rays and stuff because their film education is kind of getting curated by whatever's currently licensable. And then a lot of stuff is just vanished. Mm -hmm. So like as soon as your favorite movie is off Netflix, it's just like you kind of, it just vanishes from your head. Um, and uh, maybe I'm not describing it 
right. But I just, I really don't, I really feel like physical media is really important because, you know, all these streaming services are just sort of coming and going and, and this and that. And it's just, it, it's, it's cheaper to just have the thing and it's so cool. And like, it just, I don't know, I, it, it, the case and having that thing on the shelf meant so much to me and seeing people's careers as a space on a shelf was like my whole life. I wanted to have that space on people's shelf. Like that's what you're spending your whole life to, to make that space important to people, I guess. Um, so I don't know, keep, keep buying Blu-rays. Don't let it go away because uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's like me know. with the, that's like me with CDs. I have, Absolutely. I collect a lot of hip hop CDs. Right, right, right. So it's, and it's like vinyl. It's like it's it's hip to buy vinyl. It's like it's cool to buy Blu-rays. If you, okay, if you like buying vinyls, then go get a laser player. It's it's that big. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the things you are gonna buy are that big. You're not gonna be able to get anything new. But like that's all. That's fine. All the cool movies are available on Laserdisc anyways. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. This was episode 33 of Intuitive Minds podcast. This was CJ Wallace. Peace.